in February of this year, 2013, I was invited to be a speaker at a Bible conference held by Church of the Redeemer in Mesa, Arizona. The topic for the weekend was titled, Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. During that conference, I gave a series of four lectures. There was far more material than I could ever deal with in just four lectures. I have since expanded those four lectures into about 15 messages of which you are listening to one of these. I encourage those who are listening to these messages to visit my publishing website at triumphantpublications.com and read for free a written version based on all of these messages. These messages are being compiled into a printed book titled Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. It will be available sometime in mid-June of this year, 2013. My website will guide you on how to purchase a hard copy when available. If you don't want a hard version, you can read the transcript by simply going to my website and clicking on the appropriate box titled Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise Transcript. Also on my publishing website, I have listed links to all the audio messages found on Sermon Audio under the general topic, Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. May the Lord bless you as you listen and or read about this very dangerous view that is gaining ground, unfortunately, among certain churches and institutions. This particular message deals with the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA's creation report of the year 2000. Not all theistic evolutionists, obviously, are in the PCA, but it is quite evident that this denomination has a very serious problem on its hands. Tim Keller, Ron Chun, Greg Davidson, and C. John Jack Collins are all in the PCA, with Keller, Chung, and Collins being teaching elders. I know that there are some good men in the PCA who are bemoaning the state of affairs in their denomination with regard to this growing problem. Where did it start? For one, it goes back to the creation report submitted to its General Assembly in the year 2000. Essentially, the report gave a summary of various views on creation throughout the history of the church. One of the views, which was represented in the report, was termed the calendar day view. This view basically argues that the days of creation were ordinary calendar days, 24 hours. Though ably represented in the committee, this camp failed to persuade the rest of the committee to adopt its view despite its plea for this view, which was that of the Westminster Divines who formulated the Westminster Standards. Consequently, the committee, unable to come to unanimity over the nature and duration of the creation days, therefore a unanimous report was given with the understanding that the members hold to different exegetical viewpoints where the doctrine of creation undergirds all truth. Amazingly, the study committee acknowledged this fact, quote, The calendar day view appears to be the majority view amongst influential commentators. 
Certainly, it is the only view held by the contemporary Reformed theologians that is explicitly articulated in early Christianity, in the quote. The committee report also acknowledged, quote, the Reformers explicitly rejected the Augustinian figurative or allegorical approach to the Genesis days on hermeneutical grounds. Six, the Westminster Assembly codified this rejection. Following Calvin, Perkins, and Usher in the Westminster Confession. Seventh, there is no primary evidence of diversity within the Westminster Assembly on the specific issue of whether the creation days are to be interpreted as calendar days or figurative days. Such primary witnesses as we have either say nothing, the majority, or else specify that the days are calendar days. End of quote. Despite these acknowledgments, the committee was not persuaded to adopt the calendar view as the view of the, de of the denomination. As to the committee's statement that the primary witnesses to the assembly said nothing to specify that the days of creation were calendar days, I strongly beg to differ. David Hall, I believe, did an admirable job in demonstrating what the prevailing attitude was among the Westminster divines by citing some of the writings of these divines. The Creation Study Committee made this observation, quote, The most famous 19th century commentators on the Confession, Shaw, Hodge, Bathy, and Warfield, all held day-age views and asserted that the Confession was unspecific on the matter, end of quote. Again, I must strongly disagree with the statement that Robert Shaw was unspecific on the matter of the nature of the days of creation. I quote from Shaw's An Exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith concerning chapter 4 on creation. First, Shaw does not dispute Bishop Usher's chronology of the creation. Shaw states, quote, Accordingly, well, according to the general received chronology, the Mosaic creation took place 4,004 years before the birth of Christ and is a strong presumption that the world was not yet existed 6,000 years. It has often been remarked that the invention of arts and the erection of the earliest empires are of no great antiquity and can be traced back to their origin, end of quote. Concerning the nature of the creation week, Shaw states, quote, that the world and all things therein were created in the space of six days. This also is the express language of Scripture. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Exodus 20.11 The modern discoveries of geologists have led them to assign an earlier origin to the materials of which our globe is composed than the period of six days, commonly known by the name of the Mosaic creation, and various theories have been adopted in order to reconcile the geological and Mosaic records. Some have held that all the changes which have taken place in the materials of the earth occurred either during the six days of Mosaic creation or since that period, but it is urged that the fact which geology establishes 
proves this view to be utterly untenable. Others have held that a day of creation was not a natural day, composed of 24 hours, but a period of indefinite length. To this it has been objected that the sacred historian, as if to guard against such a latitude of interpretation, distinctly and pointedly declares of all the days that each of them had its evening and morning. Thus it should seem expressly excluding any interpretation which does not imply a natural day. In the quote from Shaw. This statement by Shaw is rather clear that he supports a calendar day view of creation. Perhaps the confusion that some on the committee may have had, assuming they read Shaw's commentary, may be over this statement by Shaw at the conclusion of his point number four. In discussing the views of others, Shaw says that these men advocated the view that reduced the pre-existing matter to its present form and gave being to the plants and animals now in existence. Shaw states, quote, This explanation, which leaves room for a long succession of geological events before the creation of the existing races, seems now to be the generally received mode of reconciling geological discoveries with the mosaic account of creation, end quote. Shaw is not agreeing with the above quote at all. He's merely stating what the prevailing idea was during his time in attempts to reconcile geology with the biblical account of creation. At one place, Shaw says, in their opinion, they believe that an indefinite frame is acceptable for the days of creation. Interestingly, the PCA study report also made this acknowledgement about the views of some during the 19th century who were not capitulating to the newly proposed Darwinian views. The report states, quote, Third, there were, however, a number of voices of concern raised by 19th century Calvinists about these newer views. Axel Green, for, for instance, could say in, in his lectures on the Shorter Catechism, 1841, Some recent attempts have been made to show that the days of creation mentioned in the first chapter of Genesis should be considered not as days which consist of a single revolution of the earth, but as periods comprehending several centuries. But all such ideas, however learned or ingenuously advocated, I cannot but regard as fanciful in the extreme. And what is worse, as introducing such a method of treating the plain language of Scripture as is calculated to destroy all confidence in the volume of inspiration. In the quote, in my previous lectures pertaining to doctors Greg Davidson and Jack Collins, they could do well to heed the exhortation of Ashville Green. Their hermeneutic is a sad example of just what Ashville Green is demonstrating. The PCA study committee also commented in their report, quote, James Woodrow and Edward Morris, neither of whom held to a calendar day view, both held that the confession did teach a calendar day view, and Woodrow declared his view to be an exception to the confession. Woodrow continued to teach his view until he became an advocate of theistic evolution, a position which led to his removal from his teaching post. End of quote. This is a most significant acknowledgement. Here were two men who did not embrace the calendar day view, 
but who recognized that it was the view of the Westminster Confession. Seeing that the PCA recognizes the Westminster Confession of Faith as its constitution, why wasn't the committee unanimous in the calendar day view? The study committee correctly noted that the PCUS, the Presbyterian Church in the United States, or commonly known as the Southern Church, did what's hold true against the notion of theistic evolution. The report added, quote, In the latter part of the 19th century, there were vigorous theological discussions about evolution in the Genesis account, but none of them was primarily focused on the nature of the creation days. General Assemblies of the Southern Presbyterian Church declared theistic evolution to be out of accord with Scripture and the Confession on four occasions, 1886, 1888, 1889, and 1924. This position, however, was renounced by the PCUS in 1969. The debate over the doctrine of creation and the place that evolution has in it is nothing new. They have the dismal track record of the PCUS to observe and serve as a warning. Sadly, the warning is going unheeded. The serious weakness of the 2000 report of the Creation Study Committee was its willingness to allow diversity in its interpretation of the days of creation. This was its Achilles heel, in my opinion. This dangerous precedent was noted by the committee, although the committee is not saying that this diversity has, uh, is bad, it simply noted that the historical precedents set at the beginning of the formation of the PCA. The committee states, quote, The following declaration of the Presbytery of Central Mississippi, PCUS 1970, is representative of some conservative Presbyterians who founded the PCA. God performed his creative work in six days. We recognize different interpretations of the word day and do not feel that one interpretation is to be insisted upon to the exclusion of all others. End of, uh, end of quote from the study committee report. Interestingly, the study committee noted the influence of other conservative churches or groups upon the PCA. The report states, quote, The Christian Reconstruction community has heavily emphasized the doctrine of creation in general and the 24-hour day view in, particularly, uh, in particular as a test of orthodoxy. Their arguments have been widely read and are influential in PCA circles. The homeschooling curricula used by many in the PCA often come from a young earth creationist perspective with its attendant polemic against non-literal views. This has been influential in PCA homes and congregations. End of quote from the study committee report. The reference to the Christian Reconstruction community probably was a reference in part to my denomination, the RPCUS, Reformed Presbyterian Church in the United States. Unfortunately, there are many misconceptions or wrong caricatures about Christian Reconstruction, 
The RPCUS is generally known as the theonomic Presbyterian denomination. This indeed is one of our distinctives because we believe with good historical documentation that the Westminster Standards promote a theonomic perspective. We are strict subscriptionists when it comes to interpreting the Westminster Standards. I should also point out that the RPCUS was the first denomination to blow the whistle on the federal visionists. Our 2002 call to repentance did stir up the debate. I wrote one of the earliest critiques of the heresies of the federal vision with the publication of my book, Danger in the Camp. My denomination is very serious about defending the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone. Sadly, some think that a theonomic perspective is a view that champions some kind of work salvation paradigm. Nothing could be further from the truth. And with regard to the doctrine of creation, we most gladly defend what has been referred to as the calendar day view of the days of creation. We avidly defend this because we understand that this is the view of the Westminster Standards. And since we are strict subscriptionists, we do not allow diversity of opinion in this matter. In one of our presbytery exams for potential elders, few things would terminate the exam with an F than for a candidate to reject the teaching that the days of creation were normal 24-hour periods. Any hint of evolutionary thought in the candidate would not be tolerated. The study committee of the PCA did note the concerns of the advocates of the calendar day view of tolerating opposing views. The report notes, quote, There is a conviction among many that Christians are engaged in cultural wars for the very survival of the Christian heritage and worldview. Reformed Christians rightly are, agree that the doctrine of creation lies at the basis of a Christian worldview. Criticisms or questions about the calendar day exegesis may be perceived as questioning the doctrine of creation itself. Calendar day proponents are used to this coming are used to this coming from outside the church, but not from within, and therefore have labeled the non-calendar day proponents as accommodating the secular culture. The mutual trading of accusations has certainly raised the temperature of the debate. There have always been men in the PCA who held similar sentiments to Ashwell Green, Dabney, Gerardo, and others, that is, they feared that non-literal approaches to the Genesis days undercut the inspiration and authority of Scripture. As these men and their disciples have become aware of the increasing numbers of men in the PCA who hold non-calendar day views of the Genesis days, they have not surprisingly become more concerned, end of quote, from the committee report. As I mentioned earlier, the Achilles heel of the study committee's report is its toleration of views that are not of the calendar day view. The study committee did observe the following, quote, A survey of recent PCA history and practice yields the following. 
First, it has been assumed in the conservative reform community for more than 150 years, on the strength of the witness of Shaw, Hodge, Mitchell, and Warfield, that the confession articulates no particular position on the nature and duration of the creation days, and that one's position on the subject is a matter of indifference. Second, in that light, many of the founding fathers of the PCA took their ordination vows in good conscience while holding to non-literal views of the creation days, or while holding to that issue as a matter of indifference. I would be less than charitable for any of us to, to view them as unprincipled. Third, recent primary evidence uncovered by David Hall and others has convinced many that the Westminster Assembly meant by its phrase in the space of six days and six calendar days. Fourth, one hears from some the complaint that the PCA has broadened and from others that it has narrowed in its toleration of positions on the days of creation. As already noted earlier, I believe the committee greatly erred when it said that Robert Shaw held to a view other than the calendar day perspective. David Hall's work is convincing that the Westminster Assembly embraced the calendar day view. As noted earlier, this is a primary reason why the RPCUS insists on this for all of its officers. The study committee recognizes that any notion to make the calendar day view the position of the PCA would constitute a change in its practice of toleration of opposite views. The report states, quote, For instance, in light of the discovery and or interpretation of new historical evidence regarding the confession's teaching on creation, some who hold to an exclusive calendar day view have been encouraged to press vigorously for the whole denomination to adhere to that view and that view alone. This would, would be irrefutably a change in the practice of the PCA. End of quote. The study committee does recognize the problem that the PCA faces with opposing groups within the denomination. It notes, quote, But those who hold this view justify the change on constitutional and biblical grounds. Their argument goes like this. We now know that the Constitution explicitly expounds a 24-hour day view, and thus any deviation from that is a contradiction of it, no matter what our past practice has been. Furthermore, they said, the acceptance of the calendar day view is an indication of one's commitment to scriptural authority. Hence, when, when this or like views are advanced, some rightly perceive a more a move, that is, to bring about a narrowing change in the PCA. On the other hand, others advocate that the PCA now make explicit what they consider to have been its Im implicit allowances of latitude on the issue. That is, they believe that because the PCA has had a limited but broadly practiced implicit latitude on the matter of the nature and length of creation days, 
we should now make that latitude explicit and more uniform and comprehensive. In the quote. Why did the study committee recommend in light of the reality of these opposing positions? It said, quote, there's a third way to avoid such potentially provocative changes from our earlier practice in 1973. Declining the more extreme wishes of both the exclusive 24-hour side and the totally inclusivist side. Retaining our practice of 1973 would be to retain the original boundaries of that widely held earlier understanding of the PCA's constitution receiving both the six-calendar day and the day-age interpretations without constitutional objection, as was the habit in 1973. But, but noting that any other views were different and ought to be considered carefully by the presbyteries in light of their historic patterns. This is the only way to both protect the rights of presbyteries to set the terms of licensure and ordination, and at the same time preclude e either a narrowing or a broadening of our historic 1973 practice. It should be acknowledged, however, that there are presbyteries that do in fact receive men and holding other views without requiring an exception provided that the men can affirm the historicity of Genesis 1-3 through 3 and do reject evolution. It is worth noting the entirety of the study committee's conclusions in order to understand what the PCA is now facing. The committee's conclusion is as follows. Quote, As we have studied the history of this matter, reflected in section 2, it is clear that there has been a good deal of diversity of opinion over the issue of the length of days throughout the history of the church. It is this kind of diversity that is found in the PCA today. We believe that this is the reason why that this committee has not been able to reach unanimity. We have come to a better understanding of each other's views, resulting in a deeper respect for each other's integrity. End of quote. The quote continues by saying, While affirming the above statement of what is involved in an orthodox view of creation, we recognize that good men will on some occasions or other matters of interpretation of the creation account. We urge the church to recognize honest differences and join in a continued study of the issues with energy and patience and with a respect for the views and integrity of each other. The advice of some who hold the calendar day view is that the General Assembly recognize that the intent of the Westminster Divines was the calendar day view and that any other view is an exception to the teaching of the standards. A court that grants an exception has the prerogative of not permitting the exception to be taught at all. Others recommend that the assembly acknowledge that the four views of the interpretation of the days expounded in this report are consistent with the teaching of the standards on the doctrine of creation, and that those who hold one of these views and who assent to the affirmations listed below should be received by the courts of the church 
without notations of exceptions to the standards concerning the doctrine of creation. All the committee members join in these affirmations, the scriptures, and hence Genesis 1-3 through are the inerrant word of God. That Genesis 1-3 through is a coherent account from the hand of Moses. That history, not myth, is the proper category for describing these chapters. And furthermore, that their history is true. In these chapters, we find the record of God's creation of the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, and of the special creation of Adam and Eve as actual human beings, the parents of all humanity, hence they are not the products of evolution from lower forms of life. We further find the account of an historical fall that brought all humanity into an estate of sin and misery, and of God's sure promise of a Redeemer, because the Bible is the word of the Creator and governor of all there is, it is right for us to find it speaking authoritatively to matters studied by historical and scientific research. We also believe that the acceptance of, say, non-geocentric astronomy is consistent with submission to biblical authority. In light of their conclusions, the study committee recommended the following which was passed by the PCA General Assembly in the year 2000. It says, Recommendations. We therefore recommend the following. One, that the Creation Study Committee's report in its entirety be distributed to all sessions and presbyteries of the PCA and made available for others who wish to study it. Adopted. Two, that since historically... In Reformed theology, there has been a diversity of views of the creation days among highly respected theologians, and since the PCA has from its inception allowed a diversity that the Assembly affirms that such diversity as covered in this report is acceptable as long as the full historicity of the creation account is accepted, adopted as amended. Third, that this study committee be dismissed with thanks. Adopted. End of quote from the recommendations of the study committee report. Before I give my analysis of the great weakness of the report, I should note that the 2012 General Assembly passed with reference to various overtures presented to it by certain presbyteries. As I noted in previous lectures, the 2012 General Assembly did allow Dr. Greg Davidson to give a seminar on why an old earth view is a plausible view of the doctrine of creation. I've examined Dr. Davidson's view in my lectures uh, previously. I noted in that lecture, uh, or lectures, that his views are very dangerous and are an example of what happens once a denomination grants certain diversity of opinion. Three presbyteries in the PCA submitted overtures to the General Assembly pertaining to the topics of theistic evolution and the historicity of Adam and Eve. The following information cited was derived from Rachel Miller's blog site reporting on the actions of the 2012 General Assembly, which says, Overture 10 from Rocky Mountain Presbytery asked that the General Assembly go on record known as making an in-thesis statement 
that would reject all evolutionary views of Adam's origins. Overton 29 from Savannah River Presbytery asked for a similar statement. But Overture 26 from Potomac Presbytery asked for something different. They felt that the PCA had clearly stated their position on these topics, most especially in larger catechism question number 17. And anyone who wanted to know what the PCA's position was could simply read the following statement from that answer, which is, quote, After God had made all the other creatures, he created man, male and female, formed the body of the man of the dust of the ground, and the woman of the rib of the man, endued them with living, reasonable, and immortal soul, made them after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, having the law of God written on their hearts, and power to fulfill it, and dominion over the creatures yet subject to fall. A minority of the committee brought to the floor their position defending the adopting of an NTC statement, stating that it was needed since there was a number of people and or institutions that were claiming to uphold the Westminster Standards. Large Catechism, question 17. Yet, at the same time, we're claiming that theistic evolution or views that Adam and Eve were not truly newly created was within the bounds of understanding of the standards. When the votes were taken, the assembly voted by a 60 to 40 percent margin to approve the Potomac Overture and not make a statement. End of quote from the study committee report. Well, here is my analysis of the creation report of the year 2000 and the actions of the 2012 PCA General Assembly. First, I want to commend those men in the PCA who were and are avidly wanting to defend the calendar day view of creation. The calendar day view is the position of the Westminster Standards, and if those denominations who ostensibly acknowledge these standards as the constitution of its church, then there should be compliance with those standards on its doctrine of creation. Over the years, I've noticed that when Presbyterian churches practice the notion of loose subscription to the Westminster standards, then it inevitably leads to controversy in the church and subsequent divisions. This is exactly what has happened in the PCA, with its laxity on confessional subscription. The theistic evolutionists, in its midst, are utilizing this laxity as a haven for their errant beliefs. The 2000 creation report's Achilles' heel was needed, was indeed its permissive latitude in terms of how the days of creation are to be interpreted. The committee openly admitted that this allowance for diversity of belief on this subject was a main reason why the report could not come to unanimity of opinion. One of the major weaknesses of the report is seen in this statement, quote, We recognize that good men will differ on some other matters of interpretation of the creation account. We urge the church to recognize honest differences and join in continued study of the issues, with energy and patience, and with a respect for the views and integrity of each other, 
End of quote. I want to be sure to clarify myself in saying that this was a weakness of the report. I'm not necessarily questioning the profession and professions of faith of those men who do not support the calendar day view. I think I understand what the committee means by good men, but I am somewhat uneasy in using this designation. These, quote, good men may make credible professions of faith, profess to love Jesus, desiring to serve him. They may be good in that sense, but I would not consider it a good thing to advocate beliefs that seriously jeopardize the biblical doctrine of creation. I have consistently argued in my entire lecture series that the fundamental issue in the debate on the doctrine of creation is one's view of and practice of hermeneutics, how we should interpret the Bible. I am shocked that certain men who ostensibly adhere to the doctrine of the authority of Scripture can simultaneously advocate the value of utilizing scientific discoveries in aiding us to understanding how we should interpret Genesis. This is the crux of the problem. Science can never be viewed as a proper aid to interpreting Scripture. Our Westminster Confession of Faith says that the most reliable means of interpreting Scripture is by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, not in subjecting Scripture to the whimsical views of scientists, especially those scientists who are openly non-Christian. I tried to point out in my lectures that the problem with Tim Keller, Ron Chun, Greg Davidson, and Jack Collins, all who are in the PCA, is that their hermeneutic is seriously flawed at various places. For Davidson to be allowed to hold a seminar at the 2012 General Assembly is, in, is inexcusable. I'm sorry, but it is. And it constitutes a flagrant violation against what the 2000 Creation Report says about evolution, which says, again, quote, In these chapters we find the record of God's creation of heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, of the special creation of Adam and Eve as actual human beings, the parents of all humanity, hence they are not the products of evolution from lower forms of life. Granted, Dr. Davidson did say in his seminar that he was there to, to show forth the arguments for an old earth interpretation of Genesis, not to discuss evolution. However, surely men in the PCA knew of Davidson's book, When Faith and Science Collide. Obviously, some delegates who attended the seminar were familiar with his book, because the question was asked whether he believed that Adam was a hominid creature that God bestowed his image upon. Davidson acknowledged that this is what he believed, but that this, this belief should not prejudice attendees to his seminar against, against an old earth view. Being an evolutionist, why was Davidson allowed in the first place? See what happens when we open Pandora's box by allowing diversity of beliefs. I severely criticized Davidson in my lectures regarding his hermeneutic. It is ludicrous that he believes that the sons of God in Genesis 6 are Neanderthal creatures, subhuman, without a soul, 
who married the daughters of men, fully humans, to produce some brutish offspring known as the Nephilim. God forming man out of the dust doesn't mean real dust. It means God used the process of evolution to bring about life on earth. The committee urged those in the PCA to exercise patience with those who have differing views. Do you see where this leads? It leads the denomination to allow an evolutionist to come into its midst with views that are openly antithetical to the biblical doctrine of creation. Where does this patience for varying interpretations lead? It leads to allowing the professor at Covenant Seminary to promote a form of evolution, just as long as he doesn't promote the philosophy of evolution, a view that sees man's evolution as purely naturalistic. I noted in my criticisms of Dr. Jack Collins that the basis of his errors lay with his hermeneutical approach to Genesis. According to Collins, the actual words of the text are not the driving force in sound exegesis, but discerning the worldview of the biblical author. Of course, this leads Collins to believe that man could easily have had animal ancestors. But this is okay as long as we believe that God supernaturally endowed a male and female hominid creature with his image and that it did not happen purely by naturalistic processes. As Collins argued in his book, we must be open to certain revisions in our traditional understanding of man's origin. Collins and others can argue, hey, we support the view that Adam and Eve are real historical persons through whom sin came to the human race. We are confessional. See where this lacks attitude uh, on interpreting scripture leads? It leads to men who promote a form of human evolution but who still claim that Adam and Eve are historical persons. Sorry, but this is not the biblical doctrine of creation. When the committee adopted point two of its recommendations, it opened the doors for all these theistic evolutionists to walk right on through and promote their unbiblical views on man's origin. Again, point two of the report reads, quote, that since historically in Reformed theology there have been a diversity of views in the creation days among highly respected theologians, and since the PCA has from its inception allowed a diversity that the Assembly affirmed that the such diversity as covered in this report is acceptable as long as the full historicity of the creation account is accepted. In the quote from the study committee. Tim Keller, Ron Chu, Greg Davidson, and Jack Collins could agree with this statement, but then go full steam ahead in promoting a type of human evolution. This is where allowance of diversity leads. These men all believe that Adam and Eve were historical persons. The committee recognized that presbyteries within the PCA have a right to set the terms of licensure and ordination provided that these men can affirm the historicity of Genesis 1 through 3 and do reject evolution. Does this have an ecclesiastical force? Not really. Metro New York Presbytery, where Tim Keller and Ron Chun are members, 
Has this presbytery sought to stop Keller and Chun from promoting evolutionary views? Not in the least. And actually, it refused to look into the views of, of Ron Chun when someone recommended that the presbytery examine Chun's views. The modus operandi that is becoming increasingly normative is that it doesn't matter what the General Assembly approves or disapproves. It hasn't mattered in terms of enforcing the 2007 report on Federal Vision Theology. Several presbyteries with men espousing Federal Vision Theology have been exonerated by these presbyteries, despite what the General Assembly overwhelmingly approved. If the highest court of the church refuses to discipline men for errant views, what is there to stop the downward spiral, much like what happened to the PCUS? The fact that the 2012 PCA General Assembly voted 60 to 40 percent to adopt Overture 26 from Potomac Presbytery that said that there was no need of an NTC statement on rejecting all evolutionary views of Adam's origin was most telling. Overtures 10 and 29 from Rocky Mountain and Savannah River Presbyteries, respectively, asked for an NTC statement that would reject all evolutionary views of Adam's origins. These overtures were not adopted. However, Overture 26 from Potomac Presbytery was adopted. Even the minority report presented to the Assembly, pleading with the body to endorse an NTC statement, was ignored. The minority report said that an NTC statement was necessary because... And they quote, There were a number of people and or institutions that were claiming to uphold the Westminster standards, yet at the same time were claiming that theistic evolution or views that the Adam and Eve were not truly created was within the bounds of understanding the standards. End of quote. With the minority committee's exhortation unheeded, and with the adoption of an overture that is not that specific, the theistic evolutionists are protected. Hence the infection, theistic evolution, will grow and infect others. It is grievous to see this happening. Ecclesiastical history tells us that the downward spiral leads to great denials in the visible church. The PCA apparently is not learning from the sad decline of the PCUS with regard to its doctrine of creation. The PCA and other denominations would do well to heed the exhortations of the notable Presbyterian theologian of the 19th century, Samuel Miller, who said, with regard to the controversy raging in his own era over old and new school Presbyterianism, Miller said, quote, I do not forget that some of the respected and beloved brethren who are regarded as the advocates of the doctrines alluded to, tell us continually that they believe substantially as we believe, that the difference between them and us is chiefly, if not entirely, a difference of words. And is it possible, if this is the case, that they will also allow much anxiety and noise to be created by a mere verbal dispute? But whatever may be the understanding and the intention of leading preachers of the doctrines referred to, the question is, how are they understood by others? 
there is the utmost danger that others, not so discerning or so pious, will be led astray by the language in question and really embrace in all their extent the errors which it was originally employed to express. I am persuaded that ecclesiastical history furnishes no example of such theological language being obstinately and extensively used without being found, in fact, connected with Arminian and Pelagian opinions, or at least ultimately leading to their adoption. Besides, all experience advocates us to be upon our guard against those who, in publishing erroneous opinions, insist upon it that they differ from the old Orthodox creed only in words. This plan has been often pursued until the language becomes familiar and the opinions which it naturally expressed current and then the real existence of something more than a verbal difference was disclosed in all its extended inverteracy. Such was the course adopted by Arius in the 4th century. He and his followers strenuously maintained that they differed in no material respect. It is indeed an easy thing for a minister accused of heresy and affording too much evidence of the fact by ingenious refinements and plausible protestations to render it difficult, if not impossible, for a judicatory to convict him. And it is easy for such of his brethren as resolved to screen him from censure, so as to varnish over his opinions, as to hide for the present most of their deformity. End of quote. Samuel Miller was acutely aware that Presbyterians must never tolerate rogue Presbyteries to assault our confessional integrity. He said, if even a single subordinate part or judicatory does not believe and refuses to act in accordance with the rest, it is plain that the beauty, the purity, and even the safety of the whole may be invaded by that one, and if few more parts become erratic and impure, their influence may soon become not merely unhappy, but fatal. Let this course be pursued in its plain that no long time would be requisite to inoculate the whole church with the views of the single presbytery, and that all faithful adherence to our public formularies would be an end. So in conclusion to this lecture on the creation study report of the PCA in the year 2000, its Achilles heel, its major weakness, is the fact that it allowed diversity of opinion with reference to the days of creation. What that did was that it opened wide the portals for all the theistic evolutionists to rush right in, and they have done so.